The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. To listen to part two of tonight's interview and all of our material going back to 2008, don't miss out and subscribe. It's very simple. All you have to do is click on the subscribe button of our website at VeritasRadio.com and you'll receive your login immediately. And have you listened to Sanitas Radio yet? Take a look at all the shows we've done so far and all the upcoming guests. You have no idea what these shows can do for you and your loved ones. You will never hear what they have to say in the mainstream media. I guarantee it. Remember, your greatest wealth is your health. Check it out at SanitasRadio.com. And for MMS or our futuristic metal-cased USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material, go to the Veritas store. To get in touch with us, for member support, media inquiries, suggestions, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. And tonight we discuss the mystery of cattle mutilations with our special guest, Christopher O'Brien. Right now on Veritas. From 1992 to 2002, Christopher O'Brien investigated over 1,000 paranormal events reported in the San Luis Valley, located in the south-central Colorado and north-central New Mexico. Working with law enforcement officials, ex-military, ranchers, and an extensive network of sky watchers, he documented what may have been the most intense wave of unexplained activity ever seen in a single region of North America. His 10-year investigation resulted in three books of his Mysterious Valley trilogy, The Mysterious Valley, Enter the Valley, and Secret of the Mysterious Valley, his meticulous field investigation of UFO reports, unexplained livestock deaths, Native American legends, cryptozoology, secret military activity, and the folklore found in the world's largest alpine valley has produced one of the largest databases of unusual occurrences gathered from a single geographic region. His latest book is titled Stalking the Herd, Unraveling the Cattle Mutilation Mystery, and we'll discuss it tonight. And if you want to learn more about Christopher Bryant, visit his website at OurStrangePlanet.com and StalkingTheHerd.com. They're both linked at ours as well. And directly from Sedona, Arizona, north of where I am, I would like to welcome, for the first time on Veritas, our special guest, Christopher O'Brien. Hello, Chris, and welcome. 
Hey, Mel, thank you, uh, and thanks for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. You know, for a long time, I wanted to do a show on cattle mutilation. This is one of those topics that uh, comes and goes. All of a sudden, you don't hear that much about it, but then all of a sudden, it starts all over again. When and what you, when and what got you started uh, in this phenomenon? Well, you know, I, I first heard about it uh, when I was like a 10-year-old kid in Bellevue, Washington, when I saw the headline on like the Weekly World News or one of those supermarket rags uh, at the checkout counter at the local Safeway, and uh, it was this horribly disfigured horse uh, missing all the tissue from its shoulders all the way to the tip of its nose, and the lurid headline was, Flying Saucers Killed My Horse, and this was October 67, about a month or so after the uh, Snippy the Horse uh, case. Uh, it, it took about a month for it to really hit the newspapers, and it became an international news story. And I, I remember I bugged my mom to for the dime or however much it cost to buy the paper, and I just devoured the article. So, you know, from that first publicized case, I've, I've kind of had a, a an interest in you know, why these animals uh, are being found in a strangely mutilated and and disfigured condition. And of course, uh, during the 70s, I was in New York City and I was aware of the news stories that were cropping up um, about the waves of of unexplained livestock deaths in in the Midwest and West uh, United States. And, you know, had a kind of a peripheral uh, interest. If I ever saw an article, I'd, you know, I'd read it. But it wasn't until I moved to Colorado in 1989 that um, that I really became directly involved. Uh, in 1992, actually, uh, there was a case uh, about 60 miles south of me in Costilla County. And um, that same night, uh, the little town that I lived in had a real spectacular UFO sighting. And, and I, I just felt the synchronicity and the coincidence was too compelling to pass up. And I was writing for my little town newspaper. And so I, I started uh, a two week process of, of researching the San Luis Valley's activity. And within two weeks, I had doubled the official number of cases uh, that had been reported, including uh, a couple of dozen cases in my county, which had never made any sort of uh, databases or uh, didn't have any, any sort of media attention. And you know, it's it's strange. After that first article came out, I did a follow up article the following month, and and I was on national TV. Uh, go figure. It just this thing kind of grew a life of its own, and <laughs> and uh, I've been you know kind of in the trenches uh, ever since. I spent a solid ten years uh, there in Colorado looking into uh, uh, pretty extensive waves of, of mutilation cases, uh, upwards of, of two hundred. And uh, I work closely with uh, law enforcement and the ranching community, uh, brand and livestock inspectors, and and a team of investigators who had been, you know, really involved in in researching and investigating these things since the seventies. And I was very fortunate to to meet um, to be trained by Linda Howe over the phone on proper investigative techniques and interviewing uh, tips, and Tom Adams, who probably could be considered the grandfather of mutology, if there <laughs> if I can. Coin Mutology, term. I like that. Yeah, and uh, David Perkins, of course, my mentor, who I've had a very uh, close and uh, and and really challenging relationship with. He's an incredibly uh, gifted writer, uh, has a master's in political science at Yale University, a brilliant, brilliant man. And he's kind of been my mentor for the last twenty plus years. 
in, um, you know, trying to get to the bottom of, you know, how long ago these cases started, first of all, and and how each of the various theories that have been proposed over the years, how they actually uh, came into being, how these uh, memes, as uh, we like to refer to them, uh, you know, grabbed hold in the culture and, and uh, you know, really attempting to unravel, which is, uh, I think, one of the most compelling uh, mysteries of our time. Uh, it could possibly be the greatest unsolved serial crime spree of all time. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been wanting to write a book on this for many years, and I just knew it was going to be a monumental task. And <laughs> I put it off and put it off. And finally, I just, uh, you know, I just I just had to get the book out. And, uh, you know, if I had included everything that I had, had written, it would have been almost a thousand pages. And I've decided to Pull, pull a lot of uh, other people's analysis and, and interviews and opinions and use that as the basis to build around for a second follow-up book, which will analyze um, Stalking the Herd, you know, the first book that just came out. You know, I remember back in, by the way, October 67, that's when I was born. But uh, 1974, I remember our parents, I, I grew up in Puerto Rico, and we had been invited to this farm to, you know, horseback riding uh, on the weekend. So weekend came along and all of a sudden I'm told by my parents, well, we're not going after all. And I, you know, I got disappointed. All of a sudden I look on the, the, the table in our house and in the dining table and there's the newspaper there. I guess my, my dad forgot to leave it there. All of a sudden I see this, this cow completely you know, obliterated, uh, mutilated. And I read the headlines and all of a sudden next to the police was the the rancher who invited us to to their farm, and I asked my dad, you know, wow. is is this why we're not going to the farm? And they, my mom and my dad, looked at each other like, you know, we we can't tell the kids that this is why we're not going. But that was the reason. So ever since then, 1974, to me, I discovered what cattle mutilation was. I also discovered what the whole UFO phenomenon was in the 1970s. Why are those early 70s years so important to to this topic and ufology in general? Well, you know that's it's a it's a rather difficult uh, question, but I think you know it's it's very involved. Um, I, I think there were a lot of factors um, that uh, contributed to uh, the waves of, of cases that were reported. As many as um, six states in a single night were reporting cases. Um, I, th- I really have a sense that. Um, you know, and and I think a lot of other investigators will disagree with this, but but I have a sense that the '70s were really crucial because, first of all, that that was the height of uh, meat consumption in the United States, and it was also the the height of numbers of cattle in the United States. And uh, if you look at a, you know, at the at the figures of ranching operations that were in existence, um, let's say in '75, the height of the mutilation waves. And you look at the the number of ranches that exist now, eighty percent of the small ranches um, that were, you know, in operation uh, in nineteen seventy five, eighty percent of them are now gone, and in their stead we have these huge feedlot operations um, that process up to four hundred uh, cattle an hour, and these feedlot operations, uh, curiously enough, are right. You know, many of them are right where we see, um, you know, these waves of uh, mutilation activity that occurred prior to, uh, you know, the real super industrialization of the of the <laughs> industrialized protein operations, uh, for lack of a better term. So I think that has something to do with it. I also 
um, think that uh, it, it became a really major news story. It was the Associated uh, Press Story of the Year in Colorado. Uh, a lot of people were aware of uh, these these reports. Um, the media got involved. Um, there was all sorts of sensationalism. Uh, and I've found over the years that as soon as the media gets involved and starts promoting uh, the mystery, if you will, uh, it has a tendency to pull you know, cases that aren't really high strange, it, that are just unusual appearing scavenger action, for instance. Um, you know, people are hearing that uh, cattle mutilations are going on and they see a dead cow and they think, oh, my God, here's one. So you have a lot of, of, of misidentified cases that are then lumped into it and it, and it makes it appear like <laughs> there's many, many more cases than there actually are. That's not to say that we haven't had upwards of 10,000, you know, real cases, which is a number I think David Perkins, Tom Adams and myself uh, – kind of agreed on uh, that 75, 74, 75 through 79 time period. So it's a complicated question. I, I think there's a lot of nuances uh, involved. Um, you also have uh, the mystery helicopter uh, right. aspect, uh, which I think is very important. Um, some investigators out there like to uh, sort of go into denial about this, but there have been hundreds and hundreds of reports of helicopters in and around mutilation sites um, all the way you know, up uh, to the present day. And another thing I, I, I find um, fairly intriguing as well uh, is, you know, we have the end of the Vietnam War occurring and then we have a lot of returning helicopter pilots. And we also have uh, returning pilots from Vietnam. Uh, a lot of these cases uh, tend to be clustered around military bases. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that there's the possibility that there's some sort of environmental monitoring program that was underway in the seventies um, that had to do with where we utilize and mine uranium, for instance, uh, nuclear power plants, missile silos, uh, weapons enrichment facilities, uranium mines. If you go downstream and downwind of these areas and downwind of the Nevada test site, uh, you'll find these are the highest uh, areas of, of incidence uh, in the mutilation phenomenon as it was reported. And so I think that there's – you have a quincunx of things coming together. There's a constellation of, of, of possible agendas. I, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer to this. I, I think there's multiple groups involved piggybacking their agendas, uh, piggybacking their agendas on other agendas. And it it gets very, very complicated. It's a Gordian knot that I <laughs> – I've been attempting for 20 years to, to unravel. And I think I've made some, some good headway. I, I really feel with the help of David Perkins and uh, about a dozen databases that were stovepiped around uh, in investigators' files, um, I pull, pulled all these databases together and really selected, I think, the key cases that, that give us a real sense of you know, possible Satanist or occult angle, possible environmental angle, possible ET angle, um, you know, societal uh, manipulation by large ranchers uh, trying to scare away smaller ranchers. Uh, for instance, there's there's some good evidence to support uh, that kind of piggybacked agenda onto the the whole mystery. And it, it's very, very involved and it. It gets it gets complicated when you when you really start looking into it. it it's just not an easy slam dunk one answer uh, ET's coming down to gather genetic material is the pop culture kind of view on this. And I, I really felt that uh, someone needed to come forward, do a case history, look at this and also put this mystery into cultural context. And that's what I've, I, I think I've done uh, with stalking the herd. 
And I think what you've done is, as you said, you present the cases so that people can come to their own conclusion because you've investigated, what, about 200 cases? Correct. So how close are you to figuring the mystery out? Well, you know, again, I think there's aspects of it that are closer to being solved than other aspects. Uh, the high strange cases I don't think will ever be solved. We've had cases of unborn fetuses being uh, mutilated, cases where organs are missing from the body with no break into the into the hide or into the into the body. Um, it, there are high strange cases that I think have always been occurring uh, all through history and may somehow even tie in with the ancient practice of animal sacrifice. Um, you know, I really attempted to look at this as all-encompassing as possible, and I started, you know, the book really starts back with the first uh, attempts to domesticate uh, wild aurochs, which were the sort of the precursor to the modern uh, beef cow and dairy cow. Uh, one surprising thing that I found out uh, early on in my research was a was just a study, a DNA study had just been published in France. And what the scientists, geneticists uh, did was they they were able to uh, isolate the the genetic history of cattle down to a single herd of 80 animals in northern Iran, which just staggered me. Uh, you know, we're talking 940 plus different breeds of cows. We're, we're of cattle. We're talking uh, 1.37 billion head of livestock on the planet. And it's it's just inconceivable to me that – <laughs> that all these animals could have all come from a single herd in northern Iran in 10,500 10, BC. It's just mind-blowing to me. And so I, I started there, and then I, I, I looked at how our relationship with cattle evolved uh, in terms of them being very, very sacred. Uh, some of your earliest uh, urban centers, for instance, uh, uh, at Katahuyuk and uh, around Gobleki Tepe in these areas uh, that have been getting some notoriety in, in the news these last few years. These were the areas where the first domestication of grain occurred, the first domestication of, of livestock. Um, and I, I think it's pretty interesting. It's probably, uh, you know, you, you're looking at an aurochs here where it's eight feet, 10 feet at the shoulder, a wild animal, just a huge, powerful animal. Uh, and it would probably take uh, the invention of wine making and beer making to uh, <laughs> to get the uh, uh, courage, I guess, to uh, tackle some of these animals and try to contain them. So, you know, I can just imagine these uh, Iranians sitting around drinking beer going, oh, that aurochs doesn't look that big. Do you think we can grab that baby? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, I've had some fun with this as well. Uh, in terms of looking at the the evolution of our belief systems around cattle. And one interesting thing that I think I've kind of isolated is how the male or the bull cults uh, kind of the bull sort of went to the West and the cow went to the East. The female aspect went to the East into India. Uh, and you have the Western uh, bull cults, uh, the Minoans, the Zoroastrians, uh, you know, you can go down the line of the Mithra cults in the, around the first century uh, AD. And it, it's really fascinating to me to see how our sacred relationship with cattle has slowly devolved over the years into this very unceremonious uh, industrialized slaughtering. Uh, like I said before, they can be up to 400 animals an hour. 
I mean, you, your average fast food hamburger could have upwards of a thousand different animals in that one burger. And I think there's some serious, serious health issues that, uh, I also uh, go into in the book. So this is a very complicated uh, relationship that we have with cats. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section, or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today, with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel... Want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback? Just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.